Hey there, you're listening to St. Tim's Anglican Bible Church's Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information on our church and where to find us, please visit our website at stimitysabc.org. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. The Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah as we uh, know it commemorated the rededication of the sec- second temple in 165 BCE after the Maccabean uh, revolt. So that wasn't a feast uh, that God had prescribed in the Torah. Um, it came afterwards, obviously. He goes on, and it's, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of of Solomon. Why just does John tell us that it was winter? Perhaps just to show uh, that Jesus' adversaries were, were taking advantage of the colder weather and, and a feast that was not required of all to attend, and catching Jesus without the usual crowds around him. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in, spe- in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. The expression, the Jews in John, is quite ambiguous and not not used in the same way that we use uh, those words today. It is not um, necessarily um, those groups that rivaled Jesus either, who, as we know, are, are the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees were the chief priests. That's how John identifies them. They were the aristocrats. Um, of Jerusalem or part of the aristocrat, uh, aristocrats of Jerusalem, not, not all. They were supported by the aristocrats of, of Jerusalem, and they were in charge of the temple and in charge of temple worship, feasts, and, and the like. And they made a very good living uh, from all that. And the other group that opposed Jesus was the Pharisees. They were in charge of the local worship community, the synagogues, and as such, they were really in control of the general population of, uh, of the cities and, and the local communities. They identified with the prophets of old, and they were the rabbis and the scholars. They were called scribes, and they taught the masses. The expression, the Jews in John, as I see it, is more of a general term that refers to the religious Judean population and the the leadership thereof who were by necessity associated with both of these groups that opposed Jesus and and it was not so it was not simply one of the groups uh, mentioned above because um, when when each of those groups were referred to by John even when they acted together they were identified as such by John. And also when it was simply the crowds that Jesus interacted with, uh, John points that out too. So, so we're not dealing, we don't really know exactly who these people were, but, but they are practicing Jews and they are the more religious Jews of Jerusalem and of the Judean countryside. And, um, and that's as opposed to um, secular Jews and Galilean Jews who were referred to as Hellenists in the New Testament, even though they were Jewish, Jewish by blood, they were only Greek in culture and social aspects. 
So to get all of that out of the way, who are the Jews? The Jews uh, likely include Pharisees, but not exclusively. So we have read dialogue in the past between Jesus and these Jews in earlier chapters, and that dialogue hasn't really been that uh, good. I mean, from that dialogue, we know that they were not simply wanting um, Jesus to clarify here who he was so that they could believe in him and live happily ever after. No, these people, their dialogue had with him had up until now been hostile, hostile to, toward Jesus. And they had even took up stones at one point to, to stone him. And as you saw in the reading, they do it again. So it's obvious that they are not here considering supporting Jesus if he now publicly comes out and claims to be the Christ or the Messiah. No, they are likely just out for evidence against him to eventually bring to Pilate. They want Jesus done away with, and no doubt the chief priests and the Pharisees are behind them. So they are looking for evidence that Jesus claimed to be the Christ, the Jewish savior and savior from Rome, if you will, to have the Romans do away with him as they had uh, one uh, Theodos before him, a self-proclaimed Messiah. He was beheaded. And it was not because Jesus was a threat to, to Rome or Caesar, of course, but because Jesus was a threat to them and to their system, which they were quite content and comfortable with. And of course, they did not believe Jesus either. They didn't believe his claims. So again here, they had asked him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you did not believe. Had Jesus told them? Yes, he had. He, had he told them plainly? Not so much. And, and that could be debated, but certainly not as plainly as they would have liked. Not so plainly as could have been evidence presented against him uh, to Rome. Evidence against high crimes against, uh, uh, for high crimes against Caesar or something. Not so plainly as him saying, I am the Christ. I am the Jewish Messiah. Now Jesus had claimed that. Of course, we saw it back in in chapter 4. He had claimed that to the Samaritan woman at the well. And he didn't deny it when Andrew, one of his disciples, testified uh, of that fact to Simon Peter, his brother, in John 1. And of course, we know from Mark's gospel that when Peter um, answered Jesus' question, who do you say I am, replying, you are the Christ, Jesus strictly charged him and the other disciples not to tell anyone else. But Jesus had also hinted of his messiahship even to the Pharisees, asking them at one time, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And when they answered him, David's, he responded, how is it then that David in the spirit called him Lord? So Jesus had his reasons for concealing his being the Christ at first because Jesus was teaching them something even deeper. He was teaching them something that they didn't understand about the Christ until now, that even though the Christ was a man 
and was a descendant of David, he was also much more than that. He was also divine. The Messiah was God, and as such, uh, the Messiah was God, and the Messiah was man, and as such, he was David's son, but he preceded David too. So that was the thing that Jesus was now concentrating on, that the Jews just didn't get or didn't receive, that Christ, the Christ, or the Messiah, was more than, the man, more than a man. He was divine, and the work that he must do on earth was more than simply reign. He must overcome. And that overcoming would include his suffering and his death for the sins of the whole world. Jesus had said things like, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness to me. And he had told Nicodemus that God had sent his son into the world in order that the world should be saved through him. But he had never yet come right out publicly and said, I am the Christ. And that was because his first and main work was to be the savior of the world and not, his, not its ruler until his return. So what does Jesus do then? He, he tells them to look at his works, the things that he did, the works that I do, he says, in my Father's name, bear witness about me. And remember, it was obvious even to the open-minded Pharisees at the time that Jesus was from God because of his works. Nicodemus the Pharisee had confessed that. But these Jews, nevertheless, did not believe. And Jesus goes on to tell them why. He said, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. So that was their problem, the problem that we addressed last time that I spoke on John. They were not Jesus' sheep. They were not of his flock, not of his followers. And because of that, they didn't believe. Jesus' disciples, his sheep, had believed as soon as he had engaged them, whether it was simply his, his call to them to follow or one of his miracles, like the catch of fish, or telling them that he saw them under the fig tree when, when no one was around. They had believed. They were his flock, with the exception of, of Judas Iscariot. And what was the difference? Well, the difference was God's sovereignty, God's work in them. As Jesus had said in, in John chapter 6, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, of course, there are hindrances to believing, which Jesus pointed out uh, before, which we've already gone over in previous chapters. Um, hindrances like seeking and receiving glory from one another and not, not God. Hindrances like not believing the writings of Moses. Hindrances like not being willing to do God's will. All those things work against believing. 
But there are also aids to believing that, Jesus pointed out. Aids like abiding in his word. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But what it finally comes down to is this. As Jesus said in John chapter 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Folks, Jesus is the divine and human Savior of the world. He is the one true light which enlightens everyone coming into the world. And the tragedy is that he was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. As John 1, 10 to 11 says. But thank God there is also good news. There is also the gospel. That to all who did receive him, who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And even today, all who receive him, he gives the right to become children of God. Is that you? Did you receive Jesus? I hope so. It's easy. All we have to do is ask. All we have to do is um, ask for his forgiveness and, and tell him that we receive him as our Savior and as our Lord. And if you haven't done it, please, please do so. Be welcomed into his kingdom. And even as Christians, we, are, we, we should ask ourselves, are we pursuing God? Are we wanting and willing to be taught by God? Jesus says the Father will teach you. You'll be taught by God. Today it's through the Holy Spirit. Do you abide in his word? Do you want God? Do you want his will for your life? Well, if so, then God wants you. You know, we've, now we've begun the this, this season of Lent. Started Ash Wednesday, last Wednesday. And Lent is a wonderful time uh, to, to reflect, but it's also a wonderful time to, to begin good habits. Don't just try to break off old habits at Lent by denying your flesh in some ways. That doesn't really help you at all unless you replace bad habits with good ones. Yes, fast. But pray, too. Stop spending money foolishly on your, yourself, but give to someone who's in need. Shut off the television, perhaps, and then abide in God's word. Take time with God. Break the bad habits. Do the good things. You know, morning and evening prayer is a great place to start or restart if you, you used to practice it. Uh, you'll find that if you practice it, you'll be healthier spiritually. And when you're busy and, and find you can't do it all, just, um, just try reading a psalm or two out loud and, and say the Lord's Prayer at least. That's a start. And you'll find that if you begin to make practices like that, you'll be drawn in more and more. 
Now, Deacon Allen told me I had to get Lent in my sermon there somewhere. So there it is, Alan. So I'm going to move on. <laughs> Jesus goes on. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Isn't that great? I think so. What a shepherd we have, and an invincible one. He destroyed the one who held the power of death over us, Hebrews says. And he did that in his death and resurrection. And there's more. He goes on to say, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Isn't that great to have such a security? He gives his followers, you and me, eternal security, eternal life. And we will never perish because we're in him. Now that's pretty much enough for us to go home with and meditate on for ourselves. But Jesus isn't finished dealing with the people there uh, yet. And he makes it clear again that he is not simply claiming to be Messiah. He is claiming divinity first. I and the Father are one. That's what he says. And with that, the Jews pick up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And they answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. So Jesus responds. He doesn't back down. He, he answers them. Is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God. So there it is again. Jesus claimed it all. His Father God consecrated him from heaven and sent him into the world, not just as a prophet with God's words, but as the exact and perfect representation of God himself. And Jesus went on, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So that was Jesus' main point to them. Jesus wanted to make that point once again that he was divine and Later on, he will go on and say he's the Messiah as he's tried, but, but, but he did so there. He didn't, his, time, his timing was perfect, and he knew exactly when to say what he was going to say. And, they, and again, here, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped their hands, and he, he left then uh, Jerusalem for a time, took a, took a retreat until, uh, as we get into next week, when his friend Lazarus is 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 sick and dies. So let's pray. 
Lord God, we do thank you, Lord, that you, yes, did do this work for us, Lord, died for our sins, that we don't have to pay any penalties if we put our faith and trust in you. And we thank you, Lord, that you erased this all from, from our dark hearts, Lord, and, and given us new hearts. Lord, as we've repented and asked you for this, you were faithful to do so. And Lord, we thank you that as we did this and as we keep our, our faith and trust in you, we are completely secure. Lord, no matter what we come against in this world, Lord, we know it cannot keep us from eternal life with you because both you and, and your Father protect us. And we thank you so much for this. In Jesus' name, amen.